Welcome to Free For All, an episode-by-episode podcast about one of the most endlessly fascinating television shows ever made, The Prisoner. Each week we'll be taking an in-depth look at the 17 episodes of The Prisoner. I'm Chris Bainbridge, Senior Lecturer in Broadcast and Creative Media, and I'm also a Prisoner devotee. And I'm Kai Ross, a film writer, restaurateur, and Chris's mate, which is how I got this gig. Right, where were we? <laughs> right, we've done the opening credits. We've only covered the first 15 minutes. <laughs> and then there's the president's line, isn't there? Sir, you approve the proceedings? I note them. You've got to wonder what, what he's thinking at this time. What on earth is going on? There's this, a look of bemusement, isn't there? He knows he's been taken to see number one. Mm. I'll take you. So he knows that's kind of what's going on. But this... Mm. <laughs> there was no, it was never any sort of, uh, well, once I beat Liam McKern, you'll be subjected to this very strange ceremony. There'll be people in Greek masks, <laughs> there'll be a man dressed as a judge. You're going to sit there yeah. uh, while a few other people run around ringing bells. Yeah. So th- he must be, th- and so with remarkable sort of calmness. Mm. <laughs> I suppose if you look at it from the spy drama or the spy tropes, mm. that's exactly what's happening. But if we look at it from the allegory yeah. side, then it takes on a different meaning he's he becomes the observer yes the observer of the events that are taking place within his own mind or within yes. his own psyche I and mean, he is genuinely sitting on a throne yeah obviously we've got to look into this allegorically yes it's a, he's, he's occupying a strange position geographically mm-hmm. in terms of the scene he's 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 the he's the man in charge mm-hmm. you know he's at the same time he's the man what would you say in the dock well i don't yeah i mean a lot of people read it like that because of the uh, judge, I guess. Because of the judge, or the president. Forgive but, me, I keep doing this. Yeah, but maybe that's intentional. Maybe the fact that he's dressed like a judge implies he is a judge, but mm. he's not titled the judge, he's titled the president. So it's a deliberate sway from judge to president. Mm. President, I've never seen a president in any kind of historical context wearing judge's robes. No. But there's a definitive character name here. This is the president, not the judge. So the judge must be symbolic. It's just a symbolic outfit. So it's it's all elements of his psyche. This is what I I don't think you can watch this episode as as the traditional kind of danger man spy. No, 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 no. It has to be looked at from a a deeper, more psychological point of view. Yeah, and this is this is why when you get number two arriving and and number forty eight, they're all the three, the tripartite. If we'll talk about Plato as well. It's tripartite, but it's also Freud with the id, the ego, the superego coming together us joining forces as one mm. to overcome the village. It's like, wow, if this is actually what was intended, I mean, it, it works. If you, you can directly link this to Plato, you can directly link this to Freud. And if that's the case, then fair play. This is deep stuff from yeah. 1967. And not only that, but it's deep stuff to have basically just been written in a in a one-off session. Yeah. It's, it's basically everything that McGowan has probably been passionately believing in, but also what he studied over the years. Mm. I mean, this, this is, it's, it's basically all spilled out into yeah. this one thing. He was, I'm sure he was probably, what he was trying to suggest is exactly what you're saying, but it's the way, all the stuff he's learned about psychology, about Freud, about all the, mm. all the, the classics. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. About yeah. the literature, all the stuff he would have picked up from Brand. Mm-hmm. It's just, piling onto a one minute episode. But what's lovely about it as well is that you can still view it and put yourself and project yourself onto McGowan. Yeah. As yeah. the as the everyman. 
Well, it's helpful because he didn't really say much. Mm. It's, I mean, he, he has quite a sort of blank slate. Mm-hmm. Up until the point where he starts, he gets up and uh, has a crack at making a speech. But uh, really, until then, he's he's got minimal dialogue, mm. uh, more just kind of um, reactions. Yeah. So, it, yeah, like you said, it's, it makes it a lot easier for, for the audience to start projecting themselves onto this slightly blank face yeah, of Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Lovely performance by Leo McKern mm. as he's revived. I love the fact that he staggers yeah. and he starts touching his face. The, the, these little character moments to suggest he's, you know, McGowan wakes up from his brain swap like like that. Yeah. McKern's like, no, 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 no. I, you know, he would stagger. He's just been dead. <laughs> he's a reanimated corpse. Yes. He's going to stagger. He hasn't had any blood flowing through his veins. <laughs> he's probably feeling a little bit numb. He's a new man. There's a line. He, he says this as soon as he sees... Number six. He says, uh, my dear chap, how have you been keeping? Mm. <laughs> and he's literally just seen him <laughs> from number six's perspective. Yes. Like 20 minutes ago. That's kind of, well, that's, that was almost that who he was. That was his character mm. um, kind of in one sentence, Leo McKern's mm. number two. His conviviality. Mm. His kind of lovely, the firm handshake of a, of a, of a convivial chap. Yeah. But so, would you say that to someone you'd literally just seen? Half an hour ago. My dear chap, have you been keeping? Unless it's done ironically, but I don't think it is. I think there's, there's something to this new man element mm. or the the shades of the of the character because he, as we saw in Chimes of Big Ben, two could change. He like the Bonhomie, but he could also be oh, yes, the, yes. the dark side of him as well. Maybe it was the dark side of, of two within Once Upon a Time and the, you know, the, the the nicer version of it is is what's manifest here as as the ego. Yeah, it's just a kind of curious kind of. Uh, well, if we use Leo, of course, we'll have to we'll have to come up with a thing where we reanimate his body. Yeah, <laughs> which is kind of well. I, I, I imagine we're going and saying, you know what? At this stage, we can do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna just get a hose with a, a suction thing on the end of it. There's a lovely little interplay with uh, the butler. Yes, come on. <laughs> and that is, and it's interesting. Kind of, at what point does the butler become number six's employee. Or aide or whatever, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, his loyal Sancho Panza. Yeah. At which point, because I always quite love, I always love the shot after he's come down from number one where mm. where the butler just gives number six a little look to mm. say, they're over there. Mm. That, for me, always felt like the first moment he became like, that's it, I'm with you now. Well, that, But it isn't, he's, he's already... I think the, the, the body, I think he's the body, the, the enabler. You know, everything he does is to serve. Mm. He he gets the breakfast. He he drives the truck. He he physically enables uh, things mm. like the body. So if they're all manifest, you know, they're all elements of his psyche. Then I think the butler represents. Yeah, and the fact that he's in, well, not every episode we've, we've, uh, we've found recently out. discovered, yeah. but because he is such an important figure, it's almost like the nothing works without him. Mm-hmm. The village doesn't work that. But if he is the body and he doesn't speak, it's almost like number six in this episode where number six is viewing the events the same way the butler does. He doesn't need the dialogue. Yeah. But do you notice that the butler is actually on the same level as number six? Mm. Yeah, I know he hasn't got a throne. It's, it's all these elements coming together. Yeah, but it's, they are. I think throughout his his life in in the village, it's all these disparate elements and are now coming together. And we see that in the revolution scene where, you know, 48, 2 and 6 combine forces. So you've got the tripartite, you've also got the body enabling the escape. Mm. 
with the hint of self-destruction as well, but also rebirth. Yes, yes, yes. That's, that's just one way of, of looking at it. I think we've got to go a bit further before this starts to make a bit more sense, though. Indeed. I think, because we're not, we're not, we haven't told the whole story yet, have we? Of the... Uh, of, of the episode. We haven't... No, no, my God, no. I, I suppose this is stuff... Yeah, maybe get to... Proceed to the end and then start to, mm. uh, start the analysis further. Lords, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Where are the ladies? Yeah. <laughs> well, they could be behind the mask. They could. And I was thinking that. Maybe, maybe just to, by saying ladies, it's make, he's making that implicit. I mean, that could just be because it's like a vaudeville musical kind of thing. My lords, my ladies, my gentlemen. Oh, come see the, you know, all yeah. that kind of stuff. A funny thing happened to me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, does this represent the, the feminine side of, of people's personalities? I think it's just that, that vaudevillian context mm. to his, his, his speech. It would have been interesting, actually, if, 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 that, if that was his, and I'm sure it is, that's his, to separate these different parts of the, of the, mm. of the personality, to have a female side. Yeah. You know, to have maybe re- recruited Mary Morris or even sort of Angela Brown to sort of, to sort of play that. Yeah, he, that, that would have made a bit of sense, actually. Yeah. Because it's it's all is this? Am I right in thinking this is an almost entirely female-free episode? Yeah, there are no women in this episode at all. I don't think there are. are there? No. I mean, that's that's the. I don't think. It, well, it would have made it more interesting had they had there been. I think. But maybe that's intentional because having the absence of women mm. shows that this is all the elements of his this psyche. Is, yeah, this is literally all about him. Yes, it is him. Yes, everything in this episode is about him. Yeah. So. Maybe with that in mind, it is a throwaway line. It's just I, th- a- I think it possibly is because I mean I suppose I can't imagine McGowan th- would have thought. Well, actually, I do have a great feminine side. He, yeah. He's he's quite a sort of man's man. Isn't he? Why don't we talk about uh, the number two character? We find out a little bit more about his backstory here, don't we? A little bit yes. more character development. They brought him back. He says in Once Upon a Time. Is that from the House of uh, House of Parliament? Well, he kind of... That's where he goes... Yeah, he implies that his, his arrival in the village is very similar to the prisoners. Yes. But, but if you view that as number six saying it, it makes sense as well. Mm. But then he talks about having the ear of princes and kings and... Yes. Like a Machiavellian character. So in a way, he's, I mean, kind of, he represents politics as well. Yes, he's genuine in politics. The and other thing I thought of is Iago in Othello, yeah. which, of course, all night long... Is based yeah. on, isn't it? Yes, uh, yes. With McGowan as the drummer. Oh, that'd be interesting. And also the the film McGowan made in the seventies with mm. Richie Havens, ah, uh, yes. Catch My Soul, yes. which I think was a an, a sort of musical version of Othello. Yes, yes, it was. Yeah. Um, so maybe there, there's a, a slight autobiographical element mm. to what Number Two is saying here. Well, during his speech when he addresses the assembly and he's doing his gags and they're all laughing away. Mm. Perhaps it's because he's basically speaking politics. They actually understand what he's saying. They're getting all his gags. In the same way that they don't understand a word that number 48 is saying. The other thing I thought of, you see, is, is these kind of, not spin doctors, but these people like, like Dominic Cummings in mm. the UK, who have the ear of the Prime Minister, have the ear of the leader, who are kind of members of the public, who are there as advisors, who the right word here, the right push yes. there, yeah, yeah. can influence events within a country or, or globally. Yeah. But it just shows that there are these elements within society or within politics who have this pull. Mm. You know, the other thing, the other way I, you can look at it is this, this he's talking about McGowan. 
You know, I had the ear of kings and princes. He would have mixed with famous people. Yes, he would have gone yes. to all these events, these galas, these award ceremonies and met these types of people. If McGowan is talking about himself, then an element of that that he has to address is his colossal celebrity. Mm. I mean, he was the, the most successful TV star of the time, mm. a worldwide star. And so he got, it's not just about sort of how I feel about this and that. that that's going to be an element as well. Yeah. And of course... This, again, could link to the ego in, with Freud. You know, the realistic part of the person's psyche that balances the id and the superego. Ego is reason and balance, like a man on horseback who has to, hold in, <laughs> has to hold in check the superior strength of the horse. The poor ego has a still harder time of it. It has to serve three harsh masters, and it has to do its best to reconcile the claims and demands of all three. The three tyrants are the external world, the super ego and the id. <laughs> That's ace. It is ace. <laughs> I think a lot of people have, have, have noticed that connection before with, with Freud. Yeah, yeah. Probably best, I think, if that's a route that people want to go down, is it's just go and, go and have a look. I think if we, if we get too bogged down with it, I think I mean, yeah, you, people I, I, will be switching you can't, off. <laughs> you can't, you can't do a York notes on, no, on Freud. No, no, it's too, too it's big just, a subject. It's, it's, it's everything in yeah. a way, isn't it? But as a summary, he, he likens, um, or people have likened, number 48, the youth, is the id. Mm. The ego is number two, and the superego is number six. Yeah, yeah. Though, as Robin Williams said in Goodwill Hunting, Freud did do enough cocaine to kill a small heart. <laughs> but interesting that the superego is the moral centre. Uh, yes. And number six is a very moral character. Yeah. I mean, that's been the thing that they couldn't corrupt him on pretty much for, for the entire thing. I think it, there's an argument about that, isn't it? That it's, it, it is his morality mm. that got him through, right, for, right, from, right from arrival onwards. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, his, his kind of steely personality, all that kind of stuff. But actually, it's simply that if you, I mean, if you can't be corrupted, it's yeah. because you're, you're moral. Yeah. If, you know, if you can be corrupted, you are immoral. That's kind of how it works. There's a good, uh, there's a good opportunity, actually, to recommend uh, Brian Gorman's Everyman, which is an audio drama based on the, the life of Patrick McGoon. He also did a graphic novel as well. Yes. Um, actually, I've not read it, no. I've got the audio version where, he, where Gorman plays... McGowan through his life. Mm. And, and he touches on a lot of the moral elements and, you know, the Roman Catholic upbringing and, uh, you know, the, the involvement with the church and being, you know, wanted, having his family want him to go to become a priest and things like that. Mm. You know, I think there's a line within that where he says that you can leave the church, but it never leaves you. Yes. And having these moral centres coming from religion, coming from your faith. So check that out. It's, it's, it's really entertaining a uh, piece of work, actually. Yeah, I have to confess uh, to my shame, I've not heard it. But I like that line where he says, but I resisted for so short a time. Yes, yes, that's, just, that's lovely. I mean, it's, um, he's, a, I mean he, he's a genuinely fascinating character. Mm. It's almost like he should have a name. Uh, in fact, he basically <laughs> is number two. Like, yeah. You know, when you, see, when you say number two in Prisoners, that's literally the first image that comes into your head, McKern. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you kind of think, what? All the gaps there that you can fill in with your imagination. Yeah. How, what did he do? How did he get there? What made him so you know, angry? Why is he turning? Yeah. Why did he turn against the, uh, the establishment? Why, what's what's, what's going to happen when he goes back into the establishment at the end? Yeah. Is he going to be there? Is he going back in to bring it down again? Is he, kind of, is he rejoining? Is that, uh, is he, you know, he's a new man. Mm -hmm. As a character, I think mm -hmm. he is almost as, 
he's almost the star of this particular show. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, for the first half, number six just sits there, but number number two just takes centre stage. Mm. Brilliant, and he has the audience in the palm of his hands. But you need that. It's almost like a variety show in that respect, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Almost like vaudeville. The you know the good old days that Leonard Sachs used to uh, mm. used to host. You know, the president is the MC, isn't he? Yes, he's Bruce Forsyth. Yeah, and welcome to the show. And then, and then here's number 48. 48 does his bit, does his song. Everyone gets going. And it's played like a theatrical performance. Yeah. Again, like a variety show, but for one audience member, mm. which is six. He also refers to himself as a secure member of the establishment. Number two. Yeah. Mm. I quite like the fact that if, if you look at these as, as facets, you've got the young man who becomes number six, mm. who then becomes number two, maybe. Yes. Is that a progression or are they just uh, separate elements? But if, there's this definite contrast between two's character, the older, more mature, knows how to play the, the game, play the system. He's respected. He has authority. Whereas number 48, youth, does, doesn't have any of this. No, he can't, even, he can't even be sort of chained to one fixed position. He has to go running around mm, everywhere. He's like uncont- a child. He's uncontrollable. Mm. It's interesting he says, I'm secure. Maybe he is security. Mm. Maybe that's why the seat's missing. Yes, Maybe that's, that's him. Good. Yeah, that's a good observation. Thank you, everybody. Because when, when, uh, when that shot returns to the assembly, there is somebody sat at security. Ah. So may, And I think that's after McKern appears, so... Maybe that sense of security has returned with, with well, twos. We, there you are. And if that's the case, then maybe that's what he... Does authority represent a certain amount of security? What is security? Just knowing... Financial your, security? Or does it mean just mental the, security? The mental or? security of just knowing you're not in danger, I suppose. Yeah. But what is a sense of security in oneself? Oh, God almighty. This um, is the one, arguably the one episode that has the justification for the deeper digging. Mm-hmm. More so than any of the others. Yeah. Because this is the one that people are still questioning and asking about and having different interpretations that may change over over time. Yeah. And I think we're in a better position now than we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago to read this episode because we've lived life. You know, we're middle-aged now. We can, you know, we're pretty approaching the age of McKern is in this episode. I know. But that gives us more of an insight into how the world works than we had at 37, 27, 17. Yeah. Are we older? We're older now than McGowan was when he made this. Yeah, he was about... Uh, oh, that's depressing. 38, 39, wasn't he? Well, what would security mean to a, to a man of that age? I think maybe confidence, being secure in your own ability, skills, conviction. Do you think there was a sort of element of... We talk about his, his security or possibly insecurity, mm. that in a way he was addressing the fact that this great opus of his hadn't really turned out the way he wanted it to this would have been in his his mind this is what Mm. i want it's going to be like this 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 but of course he would have had to have collaborated with lots of other people and many of whom weren't on side well funny enough i've got a quote from george mark stein here i think it was an absurd pantomime like that yeah just like that sinister hiss yes Yes, he, yeah, so that was Mac- when Mark Stein saw for that, that was his response. Now we have the acknowledgement of number one, mm. the elephant in the room. The, the very, very tall elephant in the room. The, yes. the huge Chekhov's gun is addressed. <laughs> the beeping one. The judge speaks beep fluently, mm. I note. Yes. What do you make of this, the, the rocket thing? I know, obviously, the, there's the Alex Cox theory, this is mm. what it's all about. Yeah, but really. if that's literal. Yeah. What do you, I mean, I'm not even sure if it's a rocket or a missile. 
Well, it's not a missile because a missile, well, rockets are basically just propulsion methods. This has an internal operation. Yeah. The warhead is on the top and that's what creates a nuclear fallout. <laughs> yeah. Creates the- it, was a, it, was a, yeah. it sort of reminded me a bit of Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Yes, yes. Where the, the mutants. Yeah, but the mutants are all underground worshipping this large bomb. Yeah. <laughs> Which, of course, they it's blow just up been after the after a prisoner at the prisoner, isn't it? That would have been afterwards as well, but so it's not like a, a reference. But the, You see, I see it as a symbolic thing. I see it as um, a symbolic thing from a semiotic of uh, a nuclear weapon. Mm. But it doesn't necessarily mean that. It's it's the advancement of technology to show this is the our ultimate achievement is something that will destroy us. But it also works as a, a means of our own self-destruction, as in the individual, not the greater human race. The ultimate symbol of technological process designed to destroy not just everybody, but a symbol of destroying ourselves. Mm. That's how I see it. Yeah. It does work. I mean, like I say, it works as semiotic. Everything's been leading towards the evolution of technology from the penny farthing, which he was specific in saying, this is what it is. Yeah. This is what it's for. And if we look at everything using that kind of Rosetta Stone, we see that, yeah, this is, you know, in 1945 when they bombed Nagasaki and Hiroshima, you know, that was a huge turning point for the human race. Yes. We developed this this incredible power source. And what, what did mm. we do with it? We turned it into a weapon. Yeah. We could heat everybody's houses yeah. for uh, for life. And Oh, no. Or... Or we can wipe people out. Yeah. I mean, nuclear power stations That's became a be. thing. It's interesting, the eye, though. Mm. That concept. And, the, the, and then you, you think about that, you realise the whole proceedings are being watched by himself. Mm. If if we know obviously that that he is basically number mm. one is is the thing. Well, he's he's watching, and there's a very interesting scene when he's actually inside the rocket mm. later on, when he's looking at he's looking through the the eye at yeah. the judge at the president, which is uh, which is very curious. But it could also just be something for the actors to play against, for the president to look at and to respond to, for McKern to look at and respond to. It it keeps the mystery a little bit longer, doesn't it? Yes. Who is actually behind that camera? Yeah. And it's just an eye level thing, maybe. Maybe there is no deeper meaning. You kind of think, well, does, is McKern aware that it's is, is 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 his number two? He must see that as, yeah, the the establishment that 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 dr- drugged him and brought him back there. Mm. In a literal sense, he's not thinking that's actually the uh, the 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 psyche the psyche of number six or anything like that. Yeah. That that, that rep- to him, number one is a totally different thing. No, I suppose if you view it from the point of, of him being the dominant personality, when he takes the mask off, he would see Leo McKern. Mm. But he's not. It's yeah, McGowan's how, character. Yeah, but that's how that's how he reps. Uh, yeah, but he it. is arguably McGowan's character, just a facet. Ah, uh, yes, I see. I think I think that's with a lot of the interpretations of Fallout. I see a lot of people try too hard to link this to reality, mm. to to justify their own want to have this as a as an end or some kind of sense made to the spy element of the show yeah no it's just it's, it's just, it's just throw it out the window it's yeah. Just, yeah it's not there and, no. and you miss i think you get more satisfaction from the the deeper themes and subtext here than you would as a, as a spy thriller do you think he sort of hamstrung himself a little bit by making number six a spy carried expectations yeah. of danger man and all kind of stuff 
But the only reason people do that, that they actually still, no, 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 you, number one's actually, a, it's, a, it's a rocket that he's, he's reconfiguring. Yeah. The only reason they're doing that is because he's a spy yeah. and it's still technically a spy show. Well, look at, all right, let's use music as a, as a metaphor. Mm. So you get, let's say, let's go back to the Beatles. It's appropriate for this episode, isn't it? Mm. So John Lennon turns up at Abbey Road one day with his, his acoustic guitar and he goes, hey, George, I've written this song, have a listen. And he plays I'm the Walrus, mm. which is like, if you listen to the melody, it's pretty tedious. It's essentially that, yeah. And then George Martin comes on and says, uh, "Do you know what? If we had this in there and we put a bit of strings on there, and then Paul's like, oh, that's really great. Let's, uh, I've got a bass line that'll fit that, you know." Uh, <laughs> and then Ringo's kind of puts his fag out and starts <laughs> drumming along to it. And the four of them, and well, five of them with George Martin basically just start to create something around a, cent- a central idea. And then they create something great. Because, like I say, I'm the worst, uh, as an example, the, the melody isn't the best melody. But with everything else that happens around it, you know, with strings, with all the, the wacky elements, and it becomes something unique and yes. different with disparate elements connected. I mean, how many people were actually, you know, adding string quartets and uh, horn sections. And Brian Wilson was doing that in, yeah, of course. in in the States. But it was a new idea for popular music. And I think this is this is almost like Sgt. Pepper, but as a TV version. It's all of these elements that are taken from different ideas. And this, I mean, you could, you could actually boil it down to three elements. McGowan has an idea that he's had since he was a child, a story he wants to tell. He tells David Tomlin in the early 60s. Tomlin's on board. He's like, yeah, I think that's a really great idea. We don't know the specifics, but we know that he's had this idea a long time. He does brand. And this is further cementing his worldview mm. and his personal view. And then he does Danger Man. He does it for, you know, six years or so. And he gets fed up because it becomes repetitive. It's the same thing. He wants to move on. He's an actor, God damn it. See, it's like Rick Jones and uh, Finger Bobs, isn't it? He was a Shakespearean actor. <laughs> And he's doing finger bobs. He's doing kids' TV. That's a classic. He's loads of Shakespeare actors. I mean, look, Jeremy Irons was on (laughs) Playaway. Yeah. But it's, you know, he wants to do something different. So he sells this idea to Lou Grade. And Lou Grade famously is like, yes, yes, Patrick. Yes, go for it. We'll have a handshake. The money will be there on Monday morning. (laughs) And, you know, McGowan doesn't really, if McGowan had outlined it and Grade had listened and told him what we had had planned for the end, McGrade would have gone, and Get a, out of an it. An assistant <laughs> bank manager is kidnapped. <laughs> yes. But the thing is then you've got Mark Stein comes in and says, right, we need to make this sellable. We need to make this, you know. It, it, it's, it's like that, like we talked about before. It's like the Lennon and McCartney. You can't just say what you want. You need that filter. Someone to say, that's a great idea, but we need to sell it. Mm. We need to sanitise it. We need to change this. We need to make it a continuation of Danger Man for some people. You know, let's keep in the spy mould because that's what you're famous for. You're almost typecast. Yeah, as a spy, and that's I think that's part of what he was worried about is being typecast. He was a serious actor. Yeah, he was well, a great actor. He was, but this episode it has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with him being a spy. No, and I mean, I mean a lot of um, I mean, it's never specifically said that he's a spy. I mean, it's inferred. It's inferred in Chimes of Big Ben. It's inferred in Many Happy Returns and in Do Not Forsake Me. It implies that he knows too much. He's a valuable commodity. Yes. But so is a famous celebrity is a valuable commodity. I withdraw my point. That's what I mean. It's never specific. And I think Alex Scott touches on it. We just make that connection. And I think the typecasting of McGowan, and especially with the press and people like Marx are saying, oh, yes, it's John Drake. Wink. Mm. You know, uh, that, like Rick Davey was saying, you know, 
this is could have been another series of danger man the money was there it wouldn't have you know why would they want to get out of paying the royalties they could have just could have been danger man series you know the next series yeah you know because that argument doesn't really hold water about the royalties thing no i know i know you know it's, he wanted to do something different but to get it made and you have someone like mark sign who sanitizes it and makes it sellable because he probably heard the idea from McGowan and Tomlin and went... What, the idea of doing... Of, of whatever it was that McGowan wanted to do. This, this, you know, exploration of oneself. You know, the village as the, as the world, as a microcosm of society and exploring the role of the individual within society. In 1966, someone would have gone, what are you talking about? People mm. just want to get the pipe and slippers on, <laughs> whack on the telly and watch Mike Pratt Chasing a dolly bird and talking to Marty. And so it's, you know what I mean? It's, it's, they just want a nice self-contained, like man in a suitcase or the persuaders. It ends and then the hero can move on to their next adventure. Happy ending. And he's challenging that. He's, no, I don't want that. But Mark Stein's rallying against him and saying, no, we need to do it this way. And I think it was a, a melding, these ideas, the Inverlair Lodge thing. Yes. You know, actually, this was, Things are actually gelling together. And then you've got ideas such as Checkmate were, were the writer's idea. It wasn't McGowan's idea. They've become part of the mythos. And, and I think the mythos has grown with the prisoner. But if you break it down, you break all the elements away to actually the core idea and then how you actually mask it, how you sell it, it, it it's, it's all there at the beginning. The seeds are sown at the very beginning, but they just needed to get it like a Trojan horse almost. I think Marxine was probably on board for the whole sort of allegory thing, just mm. so long it was kind of in a background. Mm. There would have been a sort of a, kind of a, 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 I'll take that on board mm. and we'll, we'll sort of meet you halfway. And it was only when it started to sort of maybe sort of spiral out of control a little bit yeah. that Marxine said, actually, this is it's not a spy thing anymore at all. The spy thing is what I do yeah. and this isn't what I do anymore. And so especially clashing, clashing with McGowan as well. Yes. And yes. having no, you know, no compromise. This is my idea, you know, <laughs> because then famously after, they both kind of claimed ownership, don't they? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Markstein would have argued that once he left, it was it just went off a cliff, mm. that he was actually the reason why it was it was holding together as, as, a, as a recognisable sort of ITC product yeah. uh, of high value. Yeah. But once he left, it just became this allegorical nonsense. Mm. I like that line, though. Whoever you are, whatever you are, to number one. I'll die with my own mind. I've put, if McKern is a facet of six, then the balance is beginning to be restored. Allies are preparing for revolt. Well done. Well, you've seen number 48, mm. young man. Yes. Recognition of a man, which is what the president yeah. says. Yes. He's, he's gaining, getting them on side. They're starting to, because there's no kind of call to arms, is there? It's a nod at the butler. Yes. Then two and 48 are there in the control room. There's no kind of secret wink, hang, handshake, you know, like gesturing. Yeah, there's no, there's no sort there. of uh, sitting around a table looking at a map going, this is where <laughs> yes. we need to get in. Yes. You, you take door A. Yeah. <laughs> no, they just kind of instantly know what's going on. But of course they? they do, because they're part of the same entity, aren't they? Yes. So the intention is, is, is already there. And we have that lovely inside joke, don't we? Oh, Yes. That's the f- proper bit of meta, that. Yeah. Be seeing you. As he goes down the uh, tube. <laughs> and they worked out, Dragon, that, you know what, I think we have a catchphrase here. Mm. This be seeing you thing that people have been saying all the way through the series. 
I think that's going to catch on. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's more to be read from that, though. I mean, as you know, you know, it was a Christian symbol, mm-hmm. wasn't it? But the be seeing you is a common phrase. It's used in a lot of uh, TV shows. And it but it's takes the surveillance from, aspect, though. But not only that, it's the camera aspect. And I don't mean surveillance cameras. I'm talking about cameras on actors. Yes. You know, you, you will be seeing McGowan. You mm-hmm. will be seeing him every week in Dangerman. You'll be seeing him in The Prisoner. Be seeing you. With it up to the eyes, it's yes. the proper one, isn't it? Like a like the James Bond kind <laughs> yeah. of uh, gun yeah. barrel, aperture, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It is the gun barrel, it isn't is it? Gun barrel, yeah, 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 yeah. But a lot of people think it's an aperture, but it because it looks like the iris, doesn't it? I I was I was twenty one when I realised it was a gun yeah. barrel. <laughs> well, I I always thought life. it was an aperture because of the way an iris works, because mm. it looks like that. But there's also the inside joke of the uh, set dresser John Legu. If you look at the video for, or the, the footage of his house being prepared for yes. his return. Oh, that's right. Yes. It says Lagu and Sons, doesn't it? Yes. It so does. the set dresser's name. Yeah. <laughs> they, they did that a, a few times, didn't they? At least yeah. little, uh, I'll, I'll put you in. Little, yeah. Little, little nod, yeah. little wink. A little thank you for your work. Yeah. But if you're like an art designer, set designer you can do that. Mm. You know, I've got a friend who works for a games company. He puts his surname in as a shop on some of these <laughs> racing games. Little nod to himself kind of thing. And then we have the president's line, the right to be person, someone or individual. He has survived intact and secure. Yes. Well, I mean, this is almost the the first time it's really being addressed. Mm. Like literally, this is almost sort of anti-allegorical. This is almost like a statement of what the series is all about. And, you know, when you, when you pick up sort of TV quick or something, sort of, or any, anything that says, uh, the prisoner's on. Do you remember the prisoner? Yes, it was actually a... And that, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of known for being an allegorical TV show all about the, the individual against society. Yeah, you know, one quick capsule. Yeah, a little soundbite. That's what The Prisoner is all about. And this is really the first time it's just boldly stated, isn't it? Yeah. Right, individual to be individual. And especially if you see the world as a, as a let's say, a corrupting force for an alignment with ideology. Yes. Ideology goes back to things like Marxism, where we have dominant Western ideology. Yeah. You know, that hard work will be rewarded. The the good guy will always get the the, the princess yeah. and they'll all live happily ever after. Yeah. You know, work hard and, you know, and it'll pay off. And that's our dominant Western ideology within film. And the world has these ideologies that we're supposed to comply with. The village has its own ideologies that he kind of rebels against. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I think I, I quite like the link between those. He has resisted and remained his own man. He hasn't been corrupted by the ideologies pushed on him by the village. Yeah, but it's interesting that it's the president himself who's kind of applauding him. Hmm. Because, ah, because, all, because is that not the incorruptible man is the perfect leader? Yeah, I mean, I mean, ultimately, in a way, if, there, if, there's, if there's a plot at hmm. all to this episode, it's the quest by the president to get number six to join them. Hmm. I mean, that, that's kind of, that's the only through line of this. Mm. Apart, apart from that, this is the episode where he meets number one. Mm. That's, that's not really the plot. But he's not swayed by materialistic elements, such as wealth or power. He just wants to escape. He wants to be individual. He wants yeah, to be just, himself. He wants, he wants to be left alone. And he's called a man of steel, a yeah. superman. Like Stalin. Yes. But the link, obviously, to the character, to the superhero character, the Man of Steel, the Superman mm, kind mm. of thing. I mean, we've talked about Plato's allegory of the cave. You know, the, he's, 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 asked, he's being asked to lead them yeah. from the cave. Yeah, they're, they're in a cave, they're, aren't they? A cave. Yeah, it, it, that's not even subtle. <laughs> that's Plato on a plate. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> on, a, on a Port Marion pottery plate. But... Uh, 
But yeah, leading from the cave. And this is what I, I noticed this today is like you, you see these people, you know, Plato, uh, we might as well just cover that now. But, you know, Plato's allegory of these men who are kind of chained up in a, in a cave from birth with a fire behind them, projecting images onto the wall in front of them. And they don't know what they are, but they interpret them based on their own context. Yes. And they hear the, the there's a wall and they hear the sound of carts and the horses and animals going past and they have no idea what they are because they have no context. So these sounds and visuals create a worldview based on context. And a lot of people's media worldview is based on context. Their worldview is based on what they see on the news, what they read on the internet, on social media. And that's how they form their opinions based on this very bubble very narrow. Narrow worldview. Yeah, increasingly yeah. narrow. Yeah. And this is a, a, this is a plea to lead them from the cave, lead mm. us out of the cave. And sadly, what's happening today is people think they've left the cave, but they actually just journey deeper and deeper into it. And yes. I'm talking about people who believe on certain conspiracy theories. Oh, yeah, and, no, it's just, I think, I think people's... They think they're awake. Yeah. But they're actually further deeper into the cave. Well, it's one of the great ironies of our times is that the, the means of communication and of speaking to each other, you kind of think, well, this will just kind of broaden everything, mm. that our, our scope will be basically limitless. Yeah. And somehow it's just it's just kind of shrunk yeah. our viewpoint to such an, a, an extent that most of us are just looking down a pinhole. Yes. And that's where my, my, my opinions are. They're all shaped by this. Because, of course, I mean... Could Magoon have predicted algorithms? No. In a way, no. I mean, that's kind of what it is. When you, when you read, I don't know if you've seen like The Social Dilemma, when you even briefly think about sort of algorithms and what they do. <laughs> so yeah, I, yeah. I like this. Well, you'll like this then. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, I do. I do like that. because I think this about this. Because it's remarkably like the thing I, I previously liked as well. I, but I, you'll certainly like this. I really dislike that person. Here's more <laughs> people who agree with you. Yes. If you like this, you'll hate this. But Magoo, I do hate this. Magoo, it doesn't matter about the, the end result. McGowan was right in terms of how technology was going. It's ultimately led to this. Yes, and in the same way that we, we learn how to split the atom and mm. uh, all this kind of nuclear fusion. Brilliant! We've found a way we can we can really sort of help humanity. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I've got another idea. We we could also wipe out entire countries. Yeah. Let's 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 work on Plan B, shall we? <laughs> and it's and it's yeah. I, th- I think ultimately we're, we're every single day we seem to be proving the prisoner right. Yes. I think we, I mean, we've talked before about sort of Wally and what a great sort of um, uh, predictor of the future that was. And however, at the time, I was thinking, wasn't this up? Yeah, that's exactly the way we're going to go, isn't it? And have done absolutely zero in the interim to sort of address it. To sort of, we were just kind of blindly marching our way towards it. There's a fantastic essay in the French book by mm. uh, Christian Durant. And he says just about, he says exactly that. He says that it's a, it's a, uh, McGowan has created a, uh, not a, just a mere television series, but a work of art that stands somewhere between Swift and Debord. And the problem is that, like all truly great works of art, it's not really been understood and therefore has not apparently changed anything. Mm. And it's true. Mm. It's just uh, all these warnings. And and like I've said before, I, I completely agree with his the central conceit of McGowan's that we, we, we just let technology take over our lives. Yeah. It doesn't free us. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the that's the canard that it's. Uh, yes. you, know, you without this, you won't be able to. All your friends will have one, yeah. and it's going to liberate you. It's going to make your life easier, and you'll be able to do this well, now. Look at the, we've had all these labour-saving devices invented since the industrial revolution. Yeah, the, and we're we working no, harder than ever. We have no free time. <laughs> we, 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 you know, it's a general. Yeah, it's it's one of the biggest cons 
that's ever been. But <laughs> yeah. at no point has anyone gone, do you know what? We should just get, a, get an agar or something and just yeah. go back to the days of taking all day to cook food because yeah. it's somehow we had more free time then. But I think there's an appreciation in that, isn't there? If you go back to like the hunter-gatherer thing, somebody going out, spending hours hunting food, bringing it back, getting it cooked, that meal would have tasted amazing. Too true, but if you had spent all day hunting and gathering, you wouldn't have had time to put a decent blog together or, uh, <laughs> or put out your new tune on TikTok, yes. so, which, is, which is the most important thing. Yes, there. yes. <laughs> and I, and but, I do worry. I worry about society in that respect because if something was to happen, you know, in terms of um, some kind of natural disaster or something that knocked out our uh, economy or, you know, and we were reduced to a medieval society, unlike, yeah. unlikely as it is, but it's still not impossible, is we've lost those skills. You know, how many, I mean, yes, our farmers would know how to plough the land and to, you know, to, the, the whole agricultural side, but not everybody has these skills anymore. I remember, you know, my dad was telling me when he was a kid, they were taught how to, like, desalinate water in scouts <laughs> and stuff like that, how to make drinking water using rocks and sand and stuff. Yeah. These are skills that are lost because yeah. they're not taught anymore. Really, really quickly. Yeah. Well, it's a bit like threads. I, I, yeah. I don't even want to talk about threads because I'm going to start... <laughs> Sweating and uh, shaking, thinking about it, but that's basically what happens. Once yeah. the once the threads are cut, uh, by the end of it, we, we, everyone was living in a medieval life. Yeah. But this is, I mean, this is. I think this is why the the ape mask is important. Mm. It's a reminder that we're only one step away from the apes. Yes, you know, we think we're highly evolved and super intelligent, but you like the famous quote: "Deprive a society of a meal or two meals, you revert." Yes, yes. You know, and you see that around the world where these, you know, there's wars going on and how people behave, like with Hurricane Katrina, what happened there, and gangs taking over, and it's you see this this reversion, yeah, of of this veneer of of civilization, but yeah, primal instincts. It's this illusion that technology can sort of save us from all this, mm. and like McGoom is boldly saying all the way through, I think it's it's the effect it's had on us is, I think, it's chilling. Mm. And it's not made us. I don't think it's made us it's because better. we haven't grown with it. No, but, um, well, we never, we never actually stopped to it before. As soon as it arrives, there's no sort of right before we all sign up for this <laughs> yeah. and uh, and uh, don't bother reading the, yeah. the Let's T's work and out C's. How to use it first? And let, no, let's just ask: Is this going to make us? I mean, if well, there's this new thing, Twitter, hmm. right? And apparently, I reckon this is going to be the next big thing. But before we all sign on to this, let's just ask ourselves: Do you think it's going to make political discourse? Better, more open, more more informative. Are we going to get a, be able to get a broad consensus of things, or is this going to make us so entrenched in our views <laughs> that the slightest kind of person, you know, anyone who doesn't agree with us, we're going to just basically be compelled with an, an innate desire to rip their head off? Because <laughs> I mean, if we'd have thought about it, if, even if somebody had said there'd been a sort of this global consensus, in fact, actually, that's probably, maybe that's not a good way to go. No. No. But it's not just Twitter. It's, it's everything. It mm. arrives. We grab it within well, seconds. I mean, we can't live without it. Talking about Twitter, Elon Musk and Bezos with this kind of space race they've got going on, colonizing, terraforming, mm. you know, wanting to spread humanity out to these other planets. You know the first thing that's going to happen once there's a moon base with people living up there, the franchises will appear. <laughs> there'll be a McDonald's. There'll be a Starbucks. There'll be, they'll, and that will be as soon as we get a foothold. It will be humanity spreading its kind of grubby paws, capitalist grubby paws, onto the outreaches of the galaxy. Yeah. Because we've not matured enough with the technology that we're developing. No. Uh, we're, we're one ape mask away from, from where we were a thousand years ago. Yeah. 
But at least a thousand years ago, you know, we could have uh, we could have desalinated some water. We, maybe we could. Yeah. <laughs> Our archery would have been much better anyway. This is true. I love I love the fact that he's given a choice. You know, this it reminds me where he's given that choice to lead or to desert them with mm. freedom and financial reward. Yes. It's almost like the end of a game show, isn't it? It is. It's like the generation game. You've won. <laughs> yes. Your freedom. You've won a purse of money. Yes. Traveller's checks, the tune of one million. I love the purse of money. Yeah. I love that he's a bit of, like a, a typical sort of great actor. It's like petty cash, isn't it? It is like his per diem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I quite like the fact when he actually goes up to make his address, the first mm. thing he does is he sort of tips the money and puts it in his pocket. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because you notice he does, even though you don't see him put the money in his pocket, it's implied because he brings his hand back from his pocket, doesn't he, in yeah, that shot. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, he, he pockets everything. I love all that, yeah. <laughs> Which is quite an interesting thing. It's like, I've, I've, got, I've got money for the first time. Yes. And it's, it's almost that, that, it's kind of the first thing he does is he yeah. puts money in his pocket. It's well, like, there's well, your house. There's your car. Here's your money. Here's bit, your passport. Bit of here's, cash. Bit of cash in the yeah. pocket. I'm, I'm, Go anywhere. I'm, I'm on the way now. Yeah. yeah. That's, it's, it's all the symbols of, of freedom and liberation. Yes. From, West, from, from, from a, a Western Yes, yes, yeah. from a Western uh, point of view, absolutely. But then you have the questioning the decision. Mm. And he says, why? Why? Because, why? yeah. Why? Why? <laughs> Somewhere in the background, the, uh, the general blows up. <laughs> <laughs> but you notice he stops when he says, we need you. Is that, you know, we need human beings of this calibre? To lead. I mean, that goes back to Plato as well. You know, in terms of these kind of warrior kings yeah, in yeah. Plato, you know, who should run our societies that should be trained in martial arts and in gymnastics. <laughs> and uh, this should be trained in the classics. This should be trained in democracy and mathematics. And then by the age of 50, they're ready to lead us. Yes. You know, without being spoiled by the world. And he's kind of represented as that. I can't help thinking that, would, that, that that's something we should really bring back. The concept that before you have any delusions of leading anyone, yeah, you should be, you know, tra- and yeah, fifty is about the right age. Yeah, because you've got a significant experience of life. Yes, that you can then pass on. Yeah, as a sort of civic duty, and you've got the, the benefit of wisdom. Yes, for making the right decisions. The benefit of wisdom. Can you imagine that today. Yeah, <laughs> like a- you get a lot of people, maybe 20, 25, you only have to watch The Apprentice. I'm the best at so-and-so. My CV says so long that it can, you know, Tolstoy's jealous. It's all like, <laughs> it's, you get this, this arrogance of these people who believe they can do something. And fair play to them for believing, but they have well, possibly, they don't have the experience or life experience to make certain decisions. Well, isn't that, isn't that essentially what The, the Apprentice is? It's, it's, yeah. not, it's, not, it's not a game show. No, it's, it's laughing at the idiots. It's, it's laughing at people who have the arrogance to think that they're, they're amazing yeah. and, and having, that, <laughs> having the reality of their complete incompetence kind mm. of handed to them over several episodes. Yeah. I assume. I've never seen it. It's just, I saw one episode. I realised I didn't want any of them to win. I didn't want. I didn't want any of them to survive. Mm. So I thought, well, I've got nothing in this. I'll, I'll watch something else. Mm. <laughs> but then there's that line: "All about you is yours," mm. which has two meanings. Always reminds me of that Monty Python line, doesn't it? One day, lad. Oh, this will be yours. <laughs> but, it, but it can be. <laughs> but all about you is yours because this is all part of your psyche. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it does work on those on that split level. But here's, here's, here's a point that I thought was interesting. Because the president is uh, is kind of 
saying you've you've not only have you won, mm. not only, we 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 respect you, we uh, we admire you, and we want you to lead us. Uh, you're the best of us. I think doesn't he say at one point, you're the yes, you are the best of us, the greatest. Mm. Isn't it interesting that he in once he after the uh, the, the 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 ape mask moment, mm. he then decides to shoot his way out. It's an interesting response, really. I, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I, I'm 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 with him on it. But he, he's a bit of a unicorn, really. Somebody of this calibre would turn their back on a failed and corrupt society. If, yes. you, if you argue that the village is a failed and corrupt society. He's elevated physically on the throne and metaphorically as a superman. Yeah. A god, a celebrity. I mean, even McKern says the price of fame, mm. you know, when he's talking about the butler, doesn't he? He takes the prize as an offer and he still reneges on that deal, doesn't yes, he? Yes, yes. I mean, there's a. This is another quote from the same the same essay, actually, which is all about that. He talked about that um, the search for a consensus, whether political or otherwise, is an open door to the most thoroughgoing totalitarianism. Mm. And McGowan tackles this: uh, democracy is not a panacea, nor a lesser evil. It's also an evil. Quite simply, this is where you live. Perhaps that's what's going on here. Is this is he's having everything handed to him that he's earned? Yeah, he deserves this. He this is his victory march, and. Um, He's about to reject it. So the, 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 he's a, about to desert it, yeah. Yeah, contradiction, isn't there? Yes, yes. Is that not the fallibility of the individual, though? Is that when we when we get what we want, it's not good enough, or it's not, we want more? Yeah. Is, I mean, I mean, we'll, we'll have to talk about this at the very end of the episode, mm. as to whether, whether or not he does win, mm. because that's certainly not uh, cut and dry. But then the next scene is where he makes his speech. Mm. Now this or gives it a go. It gives it a go. But it's like an Oscars-style speech. It's like a celebrity-style speech, isn't it? Yeah. And the award for best performance goes to Patrick McGowan. Ah, <laughs> uh, there you go. This is the, the famous one that everybody picks up on, is the, the verbal symmetry mm. with I, uh, A-Y-E, yeah. Yeah. and I. Mm. I've read a lot of interpretations. They use the word interruption. They're interrupting him. And mm. I'd like to posit that this isn't an interruption. Go on, sir. This is one person speaking he's being drowned out by his own voice yes right well that's interesting or another way you could look at it is possibly the the cult of celebrity agreeing with everything he says and follows him like a cult or a prophet which you see online today don't you and yes so, yes you know some famous pop star says something and it's like oh i love you oh like 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 it's just this not there's no thought behind it it's just an instant reaction of like or like culture yeah yes i know I, I i quite like that i find the fact that he's it's his, um, what would you call it? Because they're saying I, but you can see that as I as the individual or I as in yes, depending on how you want to view yeah. it, of course. Well, yeah, it? I mean, yeah. A, a, a sort of a piggybacking onto that. It's a sort of the, the memeism, mm. uh, well, that's especially around today. That, but he probably would have seen that coming, the sort of the, the, cult, of the, the cult of the individual and also the mm. sort of it's all about me. I'm the most important thing. And that's what's drowning out anything that he actually is trying to say. You mean like, nar- important. like narcissism? Yes. And it's like all selfie culture. Well, yeah, which is, I find somewhat nauseating. Yes. But it's, um, but that, that's, you know, he's actually trying to say something that's important. And it's, in fact, he hasn't really said much for the whole episode. Mm. Now I'm finally going to have my say. It's been 17 episodes, but here is what I genuinely think. <laughs> but he's actually not be able to get it out because all he can actually say really is, it's uh, me, 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 I, 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 I. And as facets of his personality, are they all responding as one because they all have something to say? Or are they all sort of conspiring to drown him out? 
to stop him saying anything. See, I don't, this is what I mean. I don't believe there are. This is an attempt to block him. I believe this is it's because he has taken the stand. I don't know. I don't think they're blocking him. They're they're agreeing with him mm. because they are him. I mean, they're not trying to block him. They're they're all agreeing with him, mm. like like a like a chorus of birds. Yeah. But it's 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 completely it's it's that sort of uh, you know the, the blind agreement. Mm. They, oh yeah, they're just nodding benignly, but just it's 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 so loud mm. that it's blocking anything. It's actually blocking anything useful. There's another reason as well is that everything is coming together now. Forty mm. eight's on side. Two is on side. The butler is on side, and now he's starting to get the assembly on side. Yeah, in agreement with him, he's now becoming more and more whole. Yeah, a deafening agreement. Yes, that's a, that's another way to look at it. Yes, and the president is on side. The president is is not just on side. He's kind of almost starting to worship him a little bit. Yeah, but it's but interesting. He, interesting that the shots of the president and all the, all the way through this, he's McGowan's losing. I think Rick Davy pointed out it was maybe they'd done a bit of lip reading. What mm. he was saying, I think at one point he says, "Buzz off." <laughs> 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 when he's shouting and doing his, his kind of magooing and bulging eyes, the yeah. the judge, the sort of president, is just it's a kind of look of wisdom. Yeah, it's I knew this was going to happen. Did you did you not think that they weren't going to shout out and stuff? It, there's there's, a, there's a, not so much a smile, just yeah. sort of I, I knew this was going to happen. There's a, somebody was was saying that uh, they think that one of the things Magoon is saying is he's talking about the devaluation of the pound. He, he does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is recently he's just kind of read in a newspaper. Yeah. Or yes, it's, it's. I think he kind of knew that it, the whole point. He, was, he just had to say something, but yeah. no, the audience wasn't going to hear. Yeah. It's probably just been sharpened a little bit by yes. uh, by sort of Blu-ray technology. <laughs> probably to his horror, yeah. if he'd have found out that anyone was going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Now, what I wanted to talk about next was the word orbit, because mm. if you break that down, it comes from the Latin word orbis, which means ring, mm. circle. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> as in the full circle aspect of the show. As it ends, as it begins. Like the circular aspect of the show. Mm. But also, um, I mean, the, the, obviously the insinuation here is that this is going into orbit, this yes. rocket. So it's not, you know, maybe it's going into orbit to, to launch a, a ballistic strike <laughs> or whatever. But so all these circular motifs are embedded within this episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not just circular, but global as well. Yeah. And of course, the orbit, the globe. Mm. The ring around the the globe, which we see as he ascends the staircase. Yes, yeah. A table full of them, all different <laughs> sizes and colours. I know you want you want global imagery, yeah. global <laughs> iconography. I'll give you yeah. global iconography. Set designer, get me as many yeah. globes as you can. Because it's not just. I mean, one of those would represent your world, but it represents everybody else's world, or view of the world, or experience of the world, or context of the world. Different sizes, different shapes, different colours. Everyone sees the world differently. Everyone has their own experience, almost like solecism to a certain extent. Yeah. And now I take it that you are prepared to meet number one. Follow me if you would be so kind, sir. Yes. I mean, this is um, just fascinating. And it's so brilliantly done. Mm. It's so spectacularly well done. Because he's absolutely right. If if this has been a guest star hmm. or anyone else it would have been the end of the series i mean it would yeah, have been like yeah. oh right well it would have been such a maybe it would have been a sort of audience pleasing yeah. but you've been pleasing the wrong audience it's that story funny story isn't it when they talk to david tomlin hmm. and he, he reads a script he comes back as i thought it was you <laughs> <laughs> but you notice um when he meets number one um 
there's footage on the screen of him meeting number one. It's like almost like a live view yeah. of the meeting. But the imagery on screen is a millisecond ahead of the actual live event, which I always thought was odd. You'd think it'd be the other way around, wouldn't you? Yeah. And that, I think that gives more weight to the, the kind of Patrick McGowan as number six. I don't mean in the, in the actor sense, as in he's playing himself. Is that this is, you know, a, a nod to the, the world he, in, he lives in, which is the world of celebrity, the world of television and film. Yeah. There's a falseness, there's a fakery to it. Well, an emptiness. I mean, it's, it's, tell- yeah. it's telling that the, the, of all the globes in the, uh, in the room, and there must be about sort of 25 mm. at least, the one that he's handed is, is crystal clear. It's empty. Yeah. So what do you make of that? And I, I thought that might have been an allusion to just the emptiness of his, of his world, the vacuousness of, of his celebrity life, mm. which he then dropped, you know, not just drops, smashes. He rejects. Yes. And that's almost like, that's almost a moment of complete rejection of mm. everything that he has. He doesn't, he doesn't tell the president to get stuffed no. and pull the V's and uh, trots off. He hasn't, he hasn't said, no, I, I'm turning down your offer. Mm. But from the moment he drops that globe, he's on a, path to revolution that's that's the rejection and a lot of people see that as like a crystal ball you know it's like uh, cross my palm with silver and all that kind of stuff and you see why you see why and absolutely you could read it that way but i think your reading is is it makes much more sense it's the emptiness of that world Mm. that this is transparent and when he looks into it he sees himself as a prisoner he sees that that semiotic of his face with the bars yeah which we've never really talked about which it's a really famous thing mm. it's one of probably one of the most famous images from the whole series yeah and it's quite really avant-garde effect. yeah and it's great and it's almost a bit like the sort of the the you know in batman with the uh between the scenes yeah. it sort of zooms in and out yeah but it's an interesting thing because you think what at the end of it it's only for a millisecond when it finishes clink yeah and you get that well what have you got there have you got a guy looking at you through the screen through bars mm. or is it you looking at him through the you know it's, it's sort of quite Interesting take. I think a lot of people saw it at the time as a very 60s kind of style, uh, from a stylistic point of view. Like you say, like with Batman, this kind of quirky avant-garde, you know, kind of, ooh, what's this? But I think, yeah, I think there's more, it's just a reminder at the end of every episode, he's still a prisoner. Yeah, but those, the way way they use it here, Mm. it sounds actually like he's rattling the bars. Mm. Clang, 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 clang. So it actually sounds like the the cage is kind of being, Mm. the bars are coming down. But he's rejecting this emptiness. He's rejecting this world that has no, there's nothing in this world. Mm. So he rejects it. He's no longer a prisoner because the prisoner is what's keeping this world from actually being uh, populated as such. Yes. Or mentally populated or whatever, whatever it needs. What does McGowan say about the eight masks? Because I know he actually said directly. There's a quote from Alexis Canner, actually. It says, when the prisoner finally got upstairs and tore off the mask in the end, who would number one turn out to be? We knew it couldn't be an anticlimax. And we knew, on the other hand, it couldn't be a climax. Well, one day I turned to Pat and said, I know, you pull the mask off and it's Lou Grade. <laughs> <laughs> you mean, that could have, that, that, in a way, that would have worked brilliant. Yeah, yeah. He's there with his cigar. Cigar and he just rips up a check. Yeah. And says, you're done. And then cut to black. Yeah, there are. I mean, there's another way to look at that. I mean, some people say, you know, it's you can allude to the Christian song. He has the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Mm. There's also that element as well. Uh, like I said, the crystal ball symbolising the future. Not too keen on that. I think that's a very kind of no. It's a kind of literal. Yeah. 
Because uh, it looks like a crystal ball. Yeah. Is it? But uh, unlike the technology, we haven't evolved much beyond our ape cousins. I think there's the bonobo. I think we share something like 98.7% of our DNA yes. with the bonobo. You know, and then we've got this common ancestral link. But it's it's almost like a middle finger to the hubris of the human race. Yeah, so I, I think he's actually basically saying, when he pulls that off and you see the ape, he's basically saying, yeah, this is stalling. It's creating the dramatic tension. But also, fingers up. Yes. I'm just reminding you that, you know, you're not all that human race. So what did uh, what did McGowan actually say about the, the ape mask? In an interview with Six of One, he said, well, who could it be? I wasn't going to ring up Sean or Roger or any of those fellas. I mean, who could it be? I didn't know who it could be. He then also recalled, what is the most evil thing on earth? Is it jealousy? Is it revenge? Is it the bomb? What is it? When one really searches, it's only one thing. It's the evil part of oneself that one is constantly fighting with until the moment of our demise. So therefore, the most evil thing that I could put in there behind those masks was the grinning evil face of myself, just for a split second. Yes. And it was. I mean, the, the, the unmasking of number one, which is kind of what 17 hours have been building up towards, mm. takes, what is it, 30 seconds or something? Yeah. But all these people have been saying, ah, well, he's, you know, and it, this was leading up to this because he is number one because he's put them there and he's testing the village. This is no, his no. idea. But there are people who say this. That are taking it in a completely literal sense. That he yeah, actually is. Because they still want to see it as the spy trope. Oh, no. God, no, no. It's just, it, it just can't be done. No, it can't. And to the point where you say, I can't understand how he c- could possibly even think that. I said, I said this to um, my stepdaughter. I said, who would you say is your worst enemy? And she went, myself. Yeah. I said, there you go. And we weren't even talking about the prisoner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. Yeah, it's your, it's your, nobody else is lazy towards you. Nobody else yeah. forces you to raid the fridge yeah. and sort of eat stuff that you know you shouldn't eat. And there's a message there. Is that, you know, it is possible in life to achieve. Yes. It is possible in life to, to succeed and to be happy, which is obviously more important than to being rich, being mm. billionaires, is being happy and secure mm. and, and having a sense of self, having a sense of purpose in life is, is, is arguably one of the, the, the greater meanings of life. I think so, yes. Contentment. Uh, yeah. But the only person who can really ruin that is not the government, is not society, mm. it's yourself. Yes, I've yeah, I I am absolutely my worst enemy. I think we all are. Yeah, it's. uh, But sometimes we need reminding of that. Yeah, and I I think I know people who sort of go the other way, and all of their problems are somebody else's fault. And I kind of think you're never gonna until you actually work out that it's you. Mm -hmm. You're doomed. Yeah, because you're that's that's the truth of it, and you're making excuses, and because it's easier because you can blame somebody else. Yes, that actually feels like a solution to me. That's right. It's it's that person over there. But we we see this on social media all the time. Decisions are made. People blame other people, and when it's clear who the perpetrator is, in a lot of cases, it's always somebody else's fault. It's yeah. always the fault of somebody else. It's always because they are doing this that my life's a misery. <laughs> no, your life's a misery because arguably you have made the, your life a misery. Not everybody, because not everybody can control circumstances. No, no. Circumstantial but, stuff is, is out of it. But when it comes down to it, yeah. you can control your own destiny. But it's kind, of, it's kind of a nice, it's a nice kind of lesson to sort of, for someone like McGowan to be putting out there mm. in, in his own oblique way. And it's a moral message. That, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because once you, once you realise it, once you realise that you are number one, 
you are, you know, your alter ego is, uh, it's it's you. You yeah. can actually do something about it. Well, I started running recently. The thing is, it's, it's like you say, oh, I don't want to go out running time. And you start making excuses not to do it. Yeah. When I lived in London, there was, we used to go to the gym. There was a pub on the way. And we, just, <laughs> we always just used to cave. The devil has placed this here. Yeah, we go, we'll go in the pub for a bit and then never go to the gym. Of course. Yeah. Why would you? We'll waste the money that gym was. <laughs> You should have moved to the other side and put, yeah. the, put the gym between you and the pub. I know. Ugh. But once number one has been removed, Sir initiates the revolt with the pieces already in place. So like a nice little... Chess yeah, analogy. Yeah, chess analogy there. He extinguishes the facets that are holding him back mm. with the fire extinguishers. Yes. But there's a funny story, isn't there, about this, where they, he comes down the staircase and jumps, isn't there? Do you know who could tell a story better than either of us? Acclaimed author Robert Fairclough. Yes, that's right, because um, obviously Patrick didn't do the jump himself. I mean, it, you can see him, he goes to jump and then it cuts and it's, it's clearly Frank Mayer. Anyway, Frank Mayer, bless him, he's a wonderful man. He was saying, no, Patrick, we can't do it like that because if I land badly, I'm, I'm going to hurt the guys because there was like some other stuntmen at the bottom, isn't there, working yeah. the control panel. So, so Patrick said, no, no, I want it done like that. And he said, well, I've warned you. So he did it like Patrick wanted the first time. And of course, he, he landed on a couple of other stuntmen, and I don't anyone was was hurt seriously, but it, it caused a quite a bad atmosphere on the set. And, and you know, do bear in mind that stuntmen tend to exaggerate quite a lot. <laughs> anyway, but anyway, they were all in the bar, all the stunt team were in the bar, and the word had gone round, and everyone was like waiting for Magoon to show up and see what would happen. And Magoon slowed up, walked straight up to the bar and ordered you know, get these guys three bottles of whiskey you know so they got a bottle of whiskey each and and he said frank said to patrick you, you won't get me to do it again like that will you and he said he said no i won't frank i won't <laughs> <laughs> so um i mean the story goes that in port miriam when they packed up filming that patrick paid for the party for all the you know the local people Sort of ah. load of money behind the behind the bar, you know, which you know, great, you know, so that's such a lovely, that's kind of a lovely story, you know. I was I was amazed too when I watched it, just how little he says or yeah. does, almost for the first. He's, he's he's made to be an observer. In fact, in fact yeah. the, you say turned out to be quite iconic. Don't knock yourself yeah. out. What well, doesn't it say in the book uh, about Kenneth Griffiths being asked? Oh, to... he had to write his own dialogue, didn't he? Ken, yeah, yeah, yes, he did. And it, 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 when, I, when I interviewed Kenneth, he confirmed that because he said, "Oh, he said oh, Patrick knew that I knew what it was about." And I'm not, I'm not exactly clear which bits he did do. I mean, because those speeches by the president are quite, really quite central to the, the way mm. they're so structured, aren't they? Yes, yes. I, I don't know if he just left a gap and said Kenneth's speech, and then. <laughs> 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 but, um, and it's interesting. I mean, there's so much in Fallout. That's why I love it so much. Because you've got, famously, you've got youth on trial. You've got the establishment on trial, I suppose, in the in the, the, the old number two was brought back to life. But as I said before, I think this idea of deifying um, figures like, if you think, I don't know, contemporary figure like Che Guevara or someone like that, mm. the idea of like lionising these figures, I mean, that that's in there too. And I, I think that's, that's all entirely deliberate. So as I say, I think it tells you what's happening, but it doesn't spell it out, does it? It, it, it does it a lot through symbolism well, they, and a lot through visuals. They literally put him on a pedestal and yeah. on a throne, don't they? So, yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, yeah, they do. But it, the fact that, like, as I said, I'm a great fan of Wonder Vision, and, um, but the fact is at the end of 
something really weird that goes on for about four episodes, you get a kind of very, very detailed explanation of what's been happening. Yes. You don't in, the, in Don't In Fallout. It, it, it tells you kind of what's, what the allegory is about, but it's all through symbolism, isn't it? And re- yeah. And the way shots are composed and stuff, and I, I think that's that's actually that, you know that's getting on for the avant garde, isn't it? I mean, that's oh, like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love the shots of him going down the tube and the shots from down below, and he yeah. just him going uh, from from down below, and the, the, and the steam going above him. It's one of those, one of the most beautiful shots in the whole series. I think. I mean, it's you know you are getting on to sort of like Jean Paul Godard almost, you know, with that sort, and um, particularly the bit at the end, you know, when they're all running around London and stuff and dry bones dance and stuff. I do remember thinking it was like if, if Samuel Beckett had been allowed to direct an episode of Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And no wonder it confused people. But, you know, it, it did pave the way for so many things that, that, that yeah. now have the license to do that, that sort of weirdness because the prisoner did it first. I mean, I don't, you know, Lost, for example, obviously. Yeah. As I said, one division, Life on Mars, especially Life on Mars, not so much Ashes to Ashes. Because even that doesn't, it sort of suggests what's happened to him, but it doesn't actually definitively say what's happened to him, does it? When he, they the ruin end. it a little bit in Ashes to Ashes, don't they, when they spell everything out? Yeah, suicide. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they should have just left it. Well, that's entirely right. It seems to be, I don't know if it's an unwritten rule, that you, you can, yes, you can go wacky and strange, but you have to, in the end, you have to tell people why. Whereas the prison doesn't do that. And I, you know, I think possibly that's a reason why it, it continues to fascinate. It, it's more like, Particularly Fallout is more like avant-garde filmmaking, I think. You, you have to pick out the symbols of what it's actually about. But I don't think anybody in 1968 was, was you know, deconstructing television programmes because it was still seen as a poor relation, wasn't it? It was just a pure entertainment. Yeah. That wasn't even a dialectic. And mind you, a lot of the reviews at the time, you see, people did generally like it and said, that well, this is actually very intelligent stuff. It's a step up. I think it was largely Fallout that exhausted people's patience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I know it's all very, very allegorical, and it seems it seems like a complete mess. But I think he, I mean, you take a lot about the way it was it was written. He was basically locked himself in a room, occasionally handed cheese sandwiches by somebody else <laughs> to stop him dying, and then getting his fever dream, I suppose. But I suppose he was just collating, just trying to sum up, you know, uh, all the arguments that he's been trying to make over the series. I mean, it also works on the level, it's almost a kind of criticising itself because it's saying, you know, the, the fictional character, the prisoner, is like the number one man. But it's it's also, by that point, Patrick was also the number one man because yeah. he was doing, <laughs> Mark Steen had gone, he was doing everything. You know, so it was like, which may be why he's credited as prisoner at the end, you know, because it's kind of fuses the character and the actor together. Yeah, I mean, that was interesting, wasn't he it? S- he says that in, yeah. in my mind, though, doesn't he? He talks, he kind of alludes to the identity of the prisoner being... Patrick McGowan, yeah, uh, in the in my mind documentary, yeah, and just that he was prisoner as well, not the prisoner. It was mm. something, ooh, yeah, well, yeah that's there for a reason. That what's he prisoner of? I mean, it's interesting. I don't know if you've ever seen um, the monkeys film, which okay, you might not see a, an immediate connection, but it's the same kind of thing I, in the sense that they came from a very popular TV show that was, you know, everyone loved it. It was a, it was a comedy. It was all wacky and everything. And then they go and make a, go off and make this really strange film, <laughs> which is almost a critique of what they were doing in the TV show. So there was definitely something in the air about, you know, popular culture kind of criticising itself or like or calling to attention that you know, this is a manufactured band. They don't actually stand for anything. You know, all the stuff that you know, they do, you know, you get the, you see all the directors telling them what to do. And so they're telling them to do stuff they don't want to do. So, well, you're going to do it because that's in the script. So it's all, there was something in the air about that. And I think, 
fallout does go against when deliberately goes against the grain of what people expected but there's so many layers to it and stuff i mean a lot of it is probably accidental because it was as you say the guy was in a fever dream writing it right at the end but i think because of that that's kind of its brilliance in a way because it's so haphazard yet it holds together it it tells you the final it it delivers i think it delivers the final point about the prisoner that you, you know we're all prisoners of ourselves um but as you say like you know, Beckett directed by Dick Lester, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know it's going to really leave the ground, don't you? I think the bit when he comes out of the the doors go like that and it starts playing all you need is love. There's no reason for that to be there at all. You know, well, the jukeboxes. I mean, to have a Beatles song in your in anything you do is such a coup. From what I can gather, the Beatles really like the prisoner, you know. Yeah. Yes. And again, I don't know if he's exaggerating, but but um, McGowan said, well, they really, they got what I was on about. So they said, well, you can have it in perpetuity for 30 quid, you know. Yeah, <laughs> the But it is, it's a wonderful thing to see the prisoner and the Beatles, just this symbiotic, <laughs> yeah. the, the, most, the two of the most iconic elements of the 60s. Without getting too pretentious, I, I would sort of argue that um, Fallout's like, you know, a day in the life at the end of... Yeah, the yeah. It's Because it, it's such a, it just, it just like, it's a complete meltdown, isn't it, of stuff. And I think you can look at, you can certainly look at Fallout in those terms. It's also got that 60s thing of films that and things that ended with like a vi- really violent sort of climax. You know, you think like If, for example. If, yeah. You said that there was, there was something in the air that the prisoner caught. I mean, talk about, we've always talked about the prescience of the prisoner. Yeah. But one yeah. thing they got in this episode, uniquely, was the violence. There was, yeah. this was January 68, it foreshadowed one of the most violent, decades uh, years mm. that there's ever been just like gifted well I, I think you know yeah it was if was 68 or it was released in 68 certainly but that you know bonnie and clyde they both get sort of shot down in a hail of bullets at the end don't they and yeah yeah weirdly enough this is the funny thing about head as well weirdly enough same kind of ending they'll get chased by everybody and they end up in their own title sequence because they're sort of jumping <laughs> off the bridge. And, and, and when you get to the end, the monkeys come out and jump off the bridge again. So it's like, <laughs> context is everything, isn't it? I mean, I mean, like, you know, as we all know, um, Patrick had done Danger Man, which, you know, very good um, spy series, occasionally offbeat and a bit, and a bit, and, and actually more intelligent than a lot of stuff, I think. But I think when The Prisoner came along, people were going, well, okay, all right, Patrick, it's a bit weird, but we'll go along with it. <laughs> because, <laughs> because this is all bound to become clear at the end. Mm. And um, there was a piece in, just before it all out was shown, that said, oh, well, uh, we, we can reveal that, you know, the prisoner has been tested by the village because to be a leader in a, a great crisis that is approaching and, he, you know, he will lead the nation, I thought. In some ways, well, that's way, really wide of the mark, but in some ways it isn't, is it? Because it's kind of, because he kind of, he's offered control of the whole place, isn't mm-hmm. it? But I think what's fascinating about it, and it's still fascinating, is the fact that it, I think Fallout, and you might disagree, I think Fallout does tell you everything that is, it tells you everything. Well, it doesn't tell you everything in terms of who runs the village, blah, 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 but it kind of tells, it tells you all the allegorical stuff, what the allegory is about, essentially, mm. isn't it? I mean, the, the allegory is about identity. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, I just think there's wonderfully composed shots of, like, you know, he's given the chair of honour, and there he is sitting next to the to the rocket with a massive number one on the side. So, <laughs> I, I remember watching it with a, and thinking, well, you know, I see where this is going, you know. I mean, even though, uh, until the, you know, the famously mad bit when the, number one turns up but it, all the way through it's telling you all this 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 he's now the number one guy in the village and there's that always the line that's always stuck with me is that great line and 
where the prisoner says, I'm an individual, and um, the, the president says, well, you're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of like that, isn't it? If you get to the top of the totem pole, you're on your own. You know, there's no, I mean, there's lots going on in it. I mean, I, but I think what, what is often overlooked, it, it's, it's also about the cult of personality because, because he's beaten the village and he's beaten number two. That, that famous scene where he's shouted down and they're all shouting, I, I, I. It's, it doesn't matter what he says because he, he, you know, he's the number one guy. So he doesn't know what he says. So everyone's kind of worshipping him, you know. Mm. I think that, that that's often overlooked, I think. Again, it's the same sort of thing. You have to infer from that final sequence what is actually going on. Yeah. It doesn't tell you. It doesn't spell it out in sort of narrative terms, does it? No. It's all imagery, strange imagery. You know, Fallout's a bit more direct than that because it, it does tell you, but it, it's not going to tell you. This guy is not really the prisoner. He's, he's a dark alter ego. It, it doesn't do that, you know. And I, I think part of the fascination also is it doesn't make, because there was no writer's Bible, and so they didn't, you know, they didn't sort of, like like you said in one of your commentaries, I think, if you, you look at, um, it's it's your funeral. It's, you're thinking, well, where's all this suddenly come from? Because the village yeah. doesn't work like this. <laughs> you know, this is the first <laughs> we've heard of it, you know. When they were making the first four, they probably didn't really have a concrete idea of what the hell they were doing. Yeah, I mean, also on arrival. Um, I don't know if you know, there was an there was originally another executive producer, Leslie Gilliatt, quite famous for its uh-huh. filmmaking. And um, during the filming of Fallout, or just afterwards, he kind of left the production. So perhaps even at that early stage, he was like, "Oh God." Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's oh, you know, but that, that but that's the beauty of it. You, you can you can you can sort of go down the rabbit hole and keep going down the rabbit hole with all this stuff, you know, because so many people are gone now that. There'll never be a definitive answer to it all. No, you know. no. it'll never date. I hope he was. I hope he was delighted in the, in the end when it, after the initial disappointment, should we say, um, when it started to become clear that it, it had taken off, that it was mm. adored and people were fascinated, and he had made something permanent. I don't know if I told you. I did actually speak to him because faxed his agent in LA, and um, I was just working away one morning. The, the mobile went, and um, it said. Is that Robert? Yeah, this is Robert. Who's this? Oh, it's Patrick calling from LA. And I just said, Patrick who? (laughs) And he said, oh, it's Patrick McGurn. I'm standing on the beach watching the sun come up. It's fantastic. You know, I thought, oh, what do I say? I can't think of anything. (laughs) And he's he's typical Patrick. He said, oh, I I just thought I'd phone you and tell you I'm not doing any more interviews about the prisoner for the rest of my life. (laughs) So like him to bring you up and tell you he wasn't going to do any more interviews. <laughs> <laughs> Did you notice that on the on the screen where you see the president, the assembly members are just walking around in circles aimlessly? I did, and I assumed that's because he's out of the picture at this point. He's actually staring through his own eye. Yeah. And I kind of thought, well, without him there, the whole thing is just they're just bubbling away like sort of like blood capsules. Yeah. And I think that's definitely the intention. There's a state of confusion where he's now got this singular goal, which is violent revolution. Mm. All these other elements, arguably people like anarchists maybe are are still kind of sat there, but (laughs) all the others are just kind of milling around because they've got no sense of purpose at that point. Yeah, it's almost like the the backstage waiting for the play to start. They're just kind of, yeah. yeah. But the point is they have been directed that way. It's not, I, I want you to sit there and just look confused. Yeah. He's like, right, I want you all up, walking around in circles, and, you yes. know, yeah. it's been directed that way. It's yeah. choreographed. So it's intentional. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's, it, was, it, was a, it was a nice spot, that. 
Mm. And then it gets a little bit controversial. Do you know what this reminds me of? This, and it's a Beatles thing again, mm. of course, but Revolution, which this is. I mean, he saw 1968 coming, didn't mm. he? But the song, you know, if you're talking about destruction, you can count me out. Yeah. In. That song wouldn't have been released at this point, though. No, but it reminds it just reminds yeah. me of that. It's the sort of it, it's one of the questions at the beginning of each episode: whose yeah. side are you on? Yeah. And this is the moment where he kind of picks a side, yeah. and he picks he picks violence. And it's interesting because throughout his career, especially with Danger Man, John Drake didn't use a gun. No. And number six never uses uh, a gun. He doesn't use any kind of weapon. He just uses his mind and his fists, yes. and his intellect, doesn't he? That's that's it. But this one, he deliberately provokes. Yeah, there was some consternation about this. Eric Myvel was a little bit disappointed mm. by the fact that this suddenly kicked off and got violent. They basically murder people. Yeah. And, of course, you could take it in an allegorical way that they're sort of killing off these facets of themselves or mm. these elements of themselves that are restricting them and yeah. for, for a burst of freedom. But they could have gone anyway. But, they, that's, but that's, there's a contrapuntal use of all you need is love there. Oh, of course. That it returns. But... The, the 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 fact is that there's there's actually there isn't anything holding them back. They've no. he, they 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 can go. They can choose to stay and lead, or go. It's interesting because they obviously filmed this before any of the the, the effects of 1968, yeah. the riots yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But it was very much in the air. Mm. You, the, the fuse had already been lit. Yeah. So it was kind of you know, guns going off and sort of and, and revolution in Cuba. Obviously, mm. that. I don't. I'm not a hundred percent sure that that McGowan is even. Back, is, is, is basically saying this is the way to go. Mm. I think to a certain extent, by the nature of the way that the thing closes at the very end, it's almost like a punishment yeah. for having taken this violent route. I mean, does Ian Rakoff say anything about this? Because he went on to work on If, didn't he? With, he uh, did, yes. With Anderson. Which, I mean, this this mirrors very, very uh, similarly. The, and the endings are very similar. Yeah, well, yeah, it's basically, basically it goes so far and then somebody picks up a machine gun. I mean, that's how yeah. If ends as well. Another good... Point to end. Oh, I thought I thought we'd make it. I thought we'd make, <laughs> I thought we'd get over the finishing line, but it's over. There. I can just see it. It's over yeah. there. Uh, about one more episode away. So yes, it's it's the first we it's first three parts. We haven't done scores it? or anything like that. No. This is a yeah much much to come. So join us next week when we're going to wrap up the whole thing. This won't be the end. I think there's still a few. There's still a few more episodes. A few after more that. episodes of life. Uh, to be discussed, and we've got things like we're going to do our running order and mm. all, that, all that kind of much, much fun to be had. But as far as Fallout's concerned, let's get to the end of that next week. Free for All podcast was presented by Kai Ross and Chris Bainbridge. The theme tune was by Gordon Milton, and special thanks to Jemima Duncar for the artwork. Please see, see you. you. You can find us on Twitter at Free For All Pod or on Facebook at Podcast Free For All.